Welcome back. Great to have your company on this Friday morning here on Summer Breakfast. Sam Edmund and Josh Jenkins with you. Bill Curry, we spoke about before the break, uh, JJ, an 81-year-old American, but a triple NFL champion, a two-time Super Bowl winner over 10 seasons before moving into coaching where he took charge of some big, big schools over there like Georgia Tech, Alabama, Kentucky, Georgia State. And Bill himself played under legends like Don Shuler and Vince Lombardi. It's such a pleasure to have him on the line. He's been generous with his time this morning from over there in the US, and he joins us on the line. Bill, good morning to you, and, and great to have you on. Well, it's great to be on. Thank you. What a, what a great conversation starter it must be for you to be able to say, hey, I played in the first Super Bowl, <laughs> 1967. It's hard to believe. I mean, um, I uh, pinch myself when I think about that. Not only am I glad to be on with you, I'm glad to be anywhere at this age. Um, I'm not sure we thought we would make it to our 80s, but here we are and uh, delighted to do so. Uh, Super Bowl One was nothing like what the world now sees. With, but it wasn't even called Super Bowl. Uh, Super, that, that name he, he, uh, emerged about th- three years later. And it uh, had its origin in a little rubber ball. I'm not making this up. A little rubber ball that was, was incredibly resilient and bouncy that dogs like to play with. And uh, somebody got the bright idea of Super Bowl. It was called Super Bowl and changed it to Super Bowl. My wife and I determined that that would never fly. That, 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 uh, that title would never resonate with the public. And, of course, <laughs> we couldn't have been more wrong. It's amazing to think what it has become. I mean, you never would have thought that the the hold it has on the sporting world now as an annual event is uh, just monstrous, to say the least. It is. It's. Um, it. Uh, <laughs> I'm afraid it tells us too much about ourselves and how we love to frolic and think about something that really, in the grand scheme of things, is not as important as a lot of other things. But it really does. I think. I think one reason, and now I'm being idealistic. But um, but I, I think I'm also being accurate. People resonate with groups of folks who come together and become a team despite their differences, who do, do away with the differences and cross those lines of politics and religion and race and all the foolishness that divides us, especially in our culture in the United States. Um, I think people resonate with the huddle because you can't be a racist and step in the huddle. You can't look down your nose at your teammate because your team will call you out or you'll just have a losing team. And everybody seems to know that. So I think that that's the good stuff. There's plenty of stuff that's not so good, but that's the good stuff. Bill, is that what is that what coaching means to you? Is that the essence of coaching for you? It's it's being that, I guess, overarching figure that brings those uh, people together and and I guess guides them and, and teaches them that, you know, you can't do this and you can't do the things you just mentioned. And if we can come together as one, we can achieve great things. Is that what coaching truly means to you as much as winning and losing? It does. Um, to me, that it is winning and losing. Uh, if, you, if you do have divisions on your team in your huddle, then you're not going to win. If you get lucky and just have great players, you might win – once in a 20-year period because you you out-talent everybody else. But that doesn't happen often because in football, I mean, you've got, you've got 105 players. you got 
22 players that are reasonably active at any given time and 11 players that are full speed active all the time during the game. If one player breaks down, the play fails. One player. You only you, you, Everybody has to function on every play in order to survive, in order to have a chance to win the game. So uh, teams that come together, that learn to perform better than the apparent sum of their component parts, that's what can be learned by young people. And yes, it was the essence of everything we tried to teach when I was coaching, because that's what I learned from Vince Lombardi. Um, I had grown up in the racist South of the United States in the 50s and 60s. I had never been in a huddle with an African-American person. I went to the Green Bay Packers as the last draft choice in 1965. And here was Vince Lombardi who wouldn't tolerate, he had a lot of strong suits, but his strongest suit is that he would not tolerate racism or sexism or anti-Semitism or any of those things. And on his team were a whole lot of big, fast African-American guys, mostly ended up in the Hall of Fame. And I thought, they're going to hear my accent, kill me, and send me home. I really thought that. But that's not what they did. Led by Willie Davis, the great defensive captain, they embraced me. They taught me how to behave, taught me how to practice, taught me how to play in the NFL, and changed my whole life. So that's what I tried to teach my team. Just further to that then, Bill, because we have this in our game in, in, in our professional football code called, called the AFL, where, of course, uh, draft kids, uh, kids, mature age people, they come from all different backgrounds and all different walks of life. So yeah. you've spoken about this before. Regardless of the upbringing, how do you connect a guy, you know, say from South Central Los Angeles or a mountain boy from the hills of North Georgia, as you say, how, how do you bring those two people together to find a, a common purpose? And, and how did you overcome that? And how aware of you uh, of that were you to um, to make your teams a success? You can cause them to spend a lot of time in close proximity. Yeah, I've had guys come to me and say, I'm not dressing next to that guy. And I'd say, yes, you are. You can't do that, coach. I can do anything I want to. I'm the head coach. Now, you can go home if you want to, or you can do it the way we're going to do it, which means you're going to dress next to this guy. I don't like this guy. Well, you don't have to like him. All you have to do is work with him. And I've actually had those guys come to me at the end of a year and say, okay, coach, we, we got the message. That sweat smells the same on everybody. We That's the message. And yes, when I get busted in the mouth, my blood's the same color as my brother. So I actually love this guy and we're going to get along. It, I've actually had that happen. And then there have been times when I when I failed, when when I couldn't get the, those two together. But I sure tried. Yeah. Bill, it's been a there's been a massive shift in in college football with uh, the name image likeness coming in. Do you think that's going to make it a lot more difficult for the current coaches to be able to do what you've done and and bring people of different backgrounds together? Because I guess for a long time, everyone's been equal in the sense that we're all here trying to play football. No one's getting paid. No one's getting more or less than the other. Whereas these days, some of these young guys are coming in on and some are making a million, $2 million, the quarterbacks and these types of players. Do you think that's making it a lot more difficult for the coaches who are trying to guide these young players? I do. I think it's, it is more difficult 
because we're all human. I don't know what you were like when you were 17 years old, but I was an idiot. I mean, I really, I mean, I just didn't get it about anything. And if somebody had waved a bunch of money in mm. front of me, it would have changed a lot of things. Um, fortunately, I had a mom and dad. and it, it didn't happen in the first place, but if it had, I think they would have regulated things. But doesn't, everybody's not so fortunate. And I think some people are swayed by that. On the other hand, and I saw this in the NFL a lot because I was always a lineman, which, and we were not the higher-paid guys, and I didn't play in an era where we got paid a lot. And I'm not complaining about that. I'm happy that I got to play. But there were guys that made the big bucks that went out of their way to be sure that, that we knew that we were just as important to them as the money. Um, I hope that some of the college guys uh, are taught that. I hope the coaches can get that message across, but I think it's not going to be easy. Speaking of a legendary American football figure, uh, Bill Curry on the line from the US. Bill, can it be one rule for some and one rule for others as a coach? Would you ever make exceptions for the superstar, you know, particularly in American sport where the individual is strongly celebrated? I mean, you'd have a strong focus on rules, but were you willing to make an exception for your most talented players? I think if you ever do that, if you ever fall into that trap, um, you're dead because uh, everybody sees that. And if all the, if all the rules don't apply to all the players all the time, and if you send one guy home and keep another one when they did the same offense, then um, you, you're finished with your credibility with your student athletes. And the next time you give them the fancy lecture about going to class and getting that diploma and having a great future when really what they want to do is play pro football. <laughs> they're, they're teenage males. Think about it. Um, yeah. I, th I think, um, I think it's, it's an uphill battle. Yeah. Was that philosophy <laughs> ever, ever really tested for you? Oh yeah. Gosh. Um, in fact, I'll tell you a brief antidote uh, anecdote. Um, I had to leave some guys uh, on the bus at Notre Dame one day because they were late for the bus. And so they didn't play. They didn't dress out. They had to stay on the sidelines. or we, I don't know where we put them. They didn't play. And the father called me curious, uh, father of one of the players. And he said, uh, if that was your star quarterback, I bet you you wouldn't have done that. You just did it to my son. I said, uh, Sir, I, I would do the same thing to the star quarterback, thinking all the while that I would never be required to do that. Two years later, our star quarterback uh, missed curfew for the biggest game of our life. It was the biggest bowl game. I sent him home. And um, <laughs> it was one of the most painful things I've ever – both both those circumstances are very painful, but you got these young people that can't learn any other way – and um, that I swear that dad called me back the next week and said, okay, I believe you now, but I didn't believe you before. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to apply it to everybody. How did the players react in those situations, particularly with the latter example where, where the star quarterback is told he's not playing? Well, not only our best quarterback, but three others of our best players were also late that night for curfew. And I sent all of them home. And, um, 
alumni were sending telegrams. There was no, <laughs> there was no social media, but yeah. the, the telegrams were flowing from the alumni. You destroyed our program. We were getting ready to play in a, a bowl game against a great Michigan State team, and they were they were a dominant team at that time. And um, when people ask me, at, with all my years, what what's the highlight of your career? This is the story I tell them. We were at practice, and um, naturally there was a lot of talking among the players. And I thought, gosh, are they going to mutiny? Or are they going to tell me they're not going to play without our best players? Mm. Uh, we had some very strong personalities as captains. And one of them, Ted Roof, said to me during the practice, Coach, uh, we want to have a team meeting after practice. I said, okay, fine, I'll see you in the locker room. He said, no, we want you to stay. And I thought, uh-oh. This, this this could be bad. He said, this won't take long. So we gathered the team up and he said, uh, coach, some of us have been talking. We want you to know something. We know why you did what you did. We love you. We're going to win the game. End of conversation. That was the highlight of my career. Not because we won the game, whether we won the game or not. The fact that the men got the message and that they were going to take that with them and teach it to their kids and their families and their teams that they were going to buy in, Whether again, whether we won or not. We did win uh, with a, just a tremendous team performance that uh, I could have never generated, the players had to generate it, and they did. So um, those are the kinds of lessons you hope you get a chance to teach, and that indeed was the highlight of my career, that moment. Bill, what, what what things or what one or two things helped you the most when you were playing? What were the one or two things that you picked up that helped you the most when you transitioned to coaching? I'm sure as a coach, as a young head coach, you learned a lot. And as an assistant coach, you would have learned a lot along the way. But from your playing days, what were a couple of things that helped you the most when you became a coach? Well, I learned... Um... We had, a, we had a coach named Pepper Rogers at Georgia Tech when I was an assistant. And um, we're watching the film one day of a practice. And he said, Coach Curry, I, this was like my first day as a football coach. He said, please tell me why the backside tackle is not sprinting across the field to cut off the free safety on the triple option. And I said, I told him 50 times to do that. And he cut off, he stopped the projector. And he turned and I, I said, I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> I said something wrong. He said, you told him what to do? I said, yes, sir. He said, oh, wonderful. Well, that means we can just tell them what to do. And I don't need any of you assist. I can fire all you assistants because I will just tell them what to do and they'll always do it. Is that right? No, coach. I want somebody to coach them. And learning that lesson from him, I had to coach him so when we watched the film after the next practice i had him by the jersey dragging him across the field while we ran together to establish the path and lo and behold after that he did it because he got the message because i coached him to do it i showed him and then i did it with him and that's what the great coaches had done for me and somehow i had missed the message as a player Bill, I wanted to ask you what type of coach cuts through. And what I mean by that is how has coaching changed and how does the message get through now? So sorry to say back in your day, but back in your day, was it more common to have 
the disciplinarian, the, the, the non-negotiable approach as a coach, the coach who stands on his own, who sits on his own, who gives the orders and you're expected to follow. And we speak about this here a lot now, or is it more now a case of you're one of the players, you're together, you build a culture of empowerment. What do you think gets the results and do you think that has changed over time? I don't think it's changed, um, but I think this. I think the answer to your question is what sells to the players, what resonates in that locker room, and it's authenticity. It is some coaches are very strict disciplinarians. Others have a different way of approaching it. I don't know how you do that, but I, I was never smart enough to figure out how to have some rules for some and other rules. For, I, I never got that. I, if somebody does that, God bless them, but I don't know how you do it. I think the standard needs to apply to everybody, but um, I think what guys resonate with is somebody that genuinely cares about them, who will make them, if, you, if, you're a, if you're a professional athlete, when that coach comes in, that assistant or head coach, you're thinking, can this guy make me better? Hmm. Uh, one, of, one of the, after I'd been a starting center for quite a while for Don Shula and, and, and then Don McCafferty with the Baltimore Colts, I, I thought my career was tailing off. And we hired a new line coach named Red Miller, uh, who was a great coach. He ended up being a head coach in the NFL. And he was a great O-line coach, but he came in and I thought, oh gosh, they're going to, he's going to watch the film and he's going to trade me or cut me or get rid of me. He, 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 he sat me down in the first meeting. He said, Curry, I've been watching your film. And if you'll do what I teach you to do, I'm going to make you the best center in the National Football League. Do you, are you with me? I said, coach, let's get to work. <laughs> I bought in the first time he looked me in the eye and said that because I believed him. He was authentic. And it worked. So I'm not saying that I became the greatest center on, in, the, in the league, but I, came, I became the best center Bill Curry could be because Red got that out of me. I think that's what we're talking about here, and different guys have different ways of doing that. Bill, we've uh, recently seen Nick Saban and Bill Belichick finish up at their respective uh, jobs, Alabama and New England. What are some things you've observed, I guess, watching those two guys go about it and seeing them you know, handle – in Nick Saban's case, you know, uh, collegiate players and then in Belichick's uh, uh, situation, you know, building and, and guiding a dynasty in the NFL. How have you seen those two guys go about it? I had a great friend named Maxie Bond who unfortunately passed away recently. A great football player, great NFL player, ought to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, Benny was a great defensive coach with then Baltimore Colts, and they were leading the league one year. And I dropped by their house in Baltimore to visit with their family because we've been friends. And I said, gee, Maxie, you're leading the National Football League in defense. That's just great. He said, well, we've got this kid that comes over from the Naval Academy. This is in the mid-70s. He said he does all the film takeoffs for us. He, we don't even have to pay him. He just loves football. And he know, he, he know, he's unbelievable. He understands football better than all the rest of us. And I said, what's his name? He said, Belichick, Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick has been inundating himself with football since he was a child. His dad was a great assistant coach at, Na at the Naval Academy. So he is, he is so, uh, he is ingrained with the knowledge and the, the touch and obviously has the feel for his players, whether he portrays that on the sideline or in the press conferences or not. But 
um, there's a gift that he has that comes from those many, many years of constant study. With Saban, I'm sure it's similar. I don't know a story like that, but I was a, a rookie um, analyst for ESPN doing Big Ten games in 1997. And um, Nick Saban was the young head coach at Michigan State, and they were struggling. They, they really weren't very good. And I forget who they were playing. It was somebody that should beat them. But I said during the broadcast, <laughs> I just watched this young coach go up and down the sideline and get in the face of every single one of his players. And I don't know what he said to them, but I promise you they're listening. And I think they're going to win this game. <laughs> and they did. Mm. It's some kind of magic that Saban has that he can get inside the heads and the hearts of those guys. I don't know what it is, but he has it, and uh, he probably is not going to be telling anybody about it either. <laughs> yes, that's right. Hey, Bill, we're out of time, unfortunately, but I, I can't let you go without one quick question. Ravens, Chiefs, Niners, or Lions? I like them all. Yeah, <laughs> right, okay. very nice. No, I I haven't watched enough. To, if I if I pick them now, it's I'm not educated enough on the teams for these to be good choices. But I think it's going to be really hard to beat the Ravens playing in Baltimore. The fans are so excited. I played there six years. Their fans really are the greatest, uh, and I think that's going to make a difference. And Lamar Jackson's going to make an even bigger difference. <laughs> and uh, Mahomes is maybe the only one that could uh, make this real interesting. So I, I think it'll be a great game. I think the Ravens will prevail because of their defense. And then the other one, I just think uh, San Francisco is going to be um, – everybody in their heart would love to see Detroit do it. But um, the 49ers have a great football team. Well, Coach Curry, Bill Curry, it's such been such a pleasure for all of us here at SEN to have you on. What a magnificent journey you've got uh, to tell, and you do such a great job of it. So it's been a pleasure to have you on, mate. We appreciate you donating your time uh, to us here this morning. Thank you. I'm just a lucky guy, and I'm delighted to have been on with you.